All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And uh, Lord willing, we'll finish up on this theme here that we started in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, focusing on 1 John 1, 9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, as believers, our position in Christ is secure and we'll never go to judgment again for the penalty of our sins. Christ went there for us at Calvary. And when we receive him as our personal savior, he takes that judgment for us. But there is this matter of walking in this present evil world and getting ourselves dirtied up. And what happens when we sin, we get out of fellowship with the Lord. Those of you that have raised children, your children are always your children. And when you do something wrong, you don't disown them and change their last name and get rid of them. They're still yours. But the fellowship isn't the same, is it? nor are the blessings or the privileges and that type of thing. And so it is with us in the Lord. And so Paul says, if we confess our sins, and that indicates the necessity of doing it. I think one of the proofs of salvation is not for somebody to say, yeah, I'm saved, and then have a flippant attitude about sin, but rather having a more conscious uh, awareness of sin and really um, hating it. Uh, being like Peter, who when he sinned, went out and wept bitterly. Or like Paul in Romans 7, where he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Uh, David in Psalm chapter 51 in fact, keep your hand here again, and I'll ask you to flip back to Psalm 51 and take a look at something here. This is a great chapter of David's repentance after his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and subsequent murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And I want us to see David's repentance because even after we're saved, we don't lose the need for repentance. When we're wrong, we need to turn. We need to admit we're wrong and get right with God. And that's the essence of repentance. And that's what David does here. He says in verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Folks, we get a lot further with God when we're just acknowledging our transgressions instead of trying to hide them. By the way, think of it. What are you going to hide from God? <laughs> we might be able to fool each other, but you're not going to hide anything from God. And he says in verse 4, he says, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified 
when thou speakest, <clears throat> and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so uh, uh, repentance doesn't entitle us to a pardon, but it qualifies us for one. And um, you look at verses 7 through 10, going forward, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And this is what we've been talking about. This is the goal, is to be right there in verse 10. That's the goal, okay? Now, the best approach is don't sin. Amen? Someone once said, sin never leaves you the way it found you. The best approach is don't sin. But if and when it happens, there's a way to get it taken care of and get back to verse 10 there. And why is it that David is able to do that? Because of what we read in verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Truth in the inward parts, the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Uh, one of God's continual complaints with Israel in the Old Testament was that they drew nigh, they drew near him with their mouth, but their hearts were far from him. And folks, the biggest thing God's looking for is a sincere heart toward him. And in that sincere heart, acknowledging where we fall short and not trying to play games with God. Look at verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I think all of this speaks for itself. And Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. God wants us to prosper. But in order to prosper, the weeds have to be cleared out before anything good can be planted with good seed. And so this is the attitude that God is looking for. And let's go over there now to John 13. And I want us to take a look at the foot washing that the Lord Jesus Christ does at the Last Supper. Because there's a great lesson of servitude there. That's obvious. But there's even more to this that dovetails right into what we've been talking about. John 13 and verse 4. The Bible says, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, before we go to Peter's remark and accuse him of being brass, there's something we need to understand. That foot washing was something that you could not 
uh, require of someone who was a Jewish indentured slave. In other words, if, if you had somebody living in your home that was a servant, and they were a servant perhaps paying back a debt or something of that nature, if they were Jewish, you could not make them wash the feet of the people in the family. Now, if they were a Gentile slave, outright slave, then they could be uh, required to do that. And that's why Peter responds the way he does in verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And see, that's what Peter was responding to. The idea that Jesus was doing the lowest job of the lowest to him, that service to him. And Jesus answered him, now watch this. Notice how he answers Peter. If I wash thee not... Thou hast no part with me. If you're here this morning and you know Christ is your Savior, then this could not be said of you because he has washed you in his blood and you have a part with him. You're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. But if you don't know Christ, it could be said of you that you've not been washed and you have no part with him. Peter saith unto him, notice how he responds in true Peter-esque fashion. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> okay, if that's the case, Lord, then give me the works. You know, you go to the car wash and they want to know which, which one you want. And I always try to get the one that sprays the undercarriage, but I don't want the one that sprays all the perfumey, gunky, foo-foo stuff all over your vehicle. And uh, so Peter goes, give me the deluxe version here, my hands and my head as well. Jesus saith to him, now watch this, he that is washed, there's salvation, needeth not save to wash his feet. There's fellowship. There's 1 John 1, 9. There's Proverbs 28, 13. And why the symbolism of the feet? Well, our feet are constantly in touch with the ground. And the ground is terra firma. And we call this place we live in the world. And so we're in constant touch with these things. And so we need our feet washed. And that would be confession of our sins and our missteps. But he says, is every wit clean, and ye are clean, but not all. And what's he mean by that? Look at verse 11. For he knew who should betray him. See, Judas wasn't, wasn't with the other disciples in his heart. Christ really wasn't his savior. He wasn't a real disciple of Jesus. He was just following along. And that's the mistake we don't want to make, folks. That's why you hear preachers preach often, you know, just because you're in church doesn't mean that you're saved because people can get the mistaken idea, well, I'm around Christians, I hear it, I give mental assent to it, so I'm part of it, but um, that was the case with Judas, and he says, ye are not all clean, then look at verse 12, so after he had washed their feet 
and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. Now in verses 13, 14, and 15, and 16, and 17, he gives them the example of the servant, the servant aspect of this object lesson here. But we're looking at the other aspect of it. And the, as, the key to that is in verse 10, where he says, He that is washed, salvation, needeth not save to wash his feet. That's what needs to still be washed as a practical matter, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 1. And I think it's important that we understand that in order to walk with the Lord, we need to do the same thing that it took for us to be saved, and that is believe God's promises. The problem a lot of people have with being saved is they don't believe God's promises. And we can fall into the same trap if we're not careful. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, here's the great blessing. We've seen the necessity. Here's the great blessing. He is faithful and just. We look at the importance of God's promises. Oswald Chambers in Streams in the Desert said, quote, Tarry at the promise. God always returns by way of his promises. And folks, this is the arena of faith. This is where Satan's greatest attacks come. Remember in Genesis chapter 3 when the devil wanted to get man to fall, he came after Eve in this arena of God's promises and he cast doubt in, in Eve's mind about God's promises, the surety of those things. And folks, his tactics are no different today than they were then. He will come at you and try to get you to doubt God's word, God's goodness, God's promises. And he'll sub here's one I see commonly. He'll substitute fairness for justice. Folks, God doesn't, God doesn't promise fairness. He promises justice. And remember something, God is an eternal God. Everything doesn't get settled out in this life. So if you're looking at life today and you're saying, well, it just isn't fair, all I can say this morning is welcome to life. <laughs> it isn't fair. But God never promised it would be, but God promises justice. And the devil will substitute fairness for justice. He will substitute himself for God. You say, what examples of that do we have in the Bible? Well, Israel's in the wilderness, and they start saying and complaining, there were no graves in Egypt, so God brought us out here to kill us. Where did they get that? What, what God are they looking at when they say that? You see, the devil slipped in there. He slipped in there, and they were looking at the devil's ways and attributing those to God. Remember something, the devil is a mime. He is a mime. There wasn't any water. There wasn't any bread that we wanted. And as for this Moses and, 
And a lot of their complaints had to do with the deceptions of Satan. Satan is an accuser. Satan will accuse you to God. He will accuse God to you. He will accuse you to the brethren. He will accuse the brethren to you. And he will accuse you to yourself if you listen to him. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Where does a spirit of fear come from? And you look at Israel reacting in the wilderness, and they are reacting to Satan's lies and thinking that they are responding to God. But they're really just reacting to Satan's lies. The Jews thought that they were upset with God, but it was the God of this world, small g. They were listening to what he had to say about God, big g. And God's promises clear the air. We read in Numbers chapter 23, you want to see how far God's mercy goes. God had just got done killing multitudes of them for their murmuring and their complaining and their idolatry fiery serpents and Balak has tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel the prophet Balaam and God wouldn't give Balaam clearance to curse Israel although Israel had done things that would justify God cursing them and the Bible says in Numbers 23 verse 21 Balaam speaking he said he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob Neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Do you know that's got to drive the devil nuts? When he comes up to the, to the throne, at, at, uh, just outside the foyer of heaven, he's not allowed in, but he's allowed to the threshold, according to the book of Job. And he wants to challenge God concerning one of his servants. And he starts rattling off the servant's iniquities. And God looks at him and goes, I don't see any of that. <laughs> you know, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Folks, this should prompt a response of love and gratitude. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. I often ask myself that question, do I serve the Lord out of love for him? Do I do that? Do I serve the Lord out of gratitude for what he's done for me? And that should be our motivation. But it never will be unless we claim the promises of God. And again, sometimes we're our own enemies when it comes to this. It was lunchtime at work. And an elderly gentleman opened his lunchbox, looked in it, and growled, cheese sandwiches. Cheese sandwiches, cheese sandwiches, always cheese sandwiches. And another worker said, well, sir, why don't you ask your wife to make some other kind? And he said, wife? Who's married? He said, I make these myself. <laughs> and sometimes we do that, folks. We do it to ourselves. Because we refuse to believe God's promises. So I ask you one last time this morning. Have you forgiven yourself? 
If God has forgiven you, have you forgiven yourself? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? What's that little three-letter word? All unrighteousness. Do you believe that this morning? Turn to, the, turn to chapter 3 in 1 John, just a page over. The good thing about all this, folks, is God's promise tells us he's not, he's not refusing to forgive us. It is Satan. It is Satan that will deceive us. And the, the encouraging thing about all this is we hold the key. And what is that key? The key of his promises. 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now, one of the best ways to assure your heart before the Lord is believe what he said and stay out of the hog pen of sin. Someone once said, sin will always take you further than you intended to stray. Sin will always cost you more than you intended to pay. And sin will always keep you longer than you intended to stay. The best way to be in that condition is stay out of the hog pen of sin. But notice verse 20. For if our heart condemn us. Now there's two reasons our heart can condemn us. Number one, we have sin and haven't confessed it. We'll then confess it to the Lord and let him forgive you. 1 John 1, 9. Or you've confessed it but you're relying upon feelings or you're listening to the accusations of the devil or other people around you. What you need to do is believe God's word because notice what he says in verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. He knows how bad you messed up and he's still willing to forgive you. Just like he said in Numbers, he hadn't beheld iniquity in Israel. And yet he just, had, he just got done having to kill thousands of them for their wickedness. But that imputed righteousness, that forgiveness. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And so the devil would like you to be walking around with a condemning heart with a sense of false guilt, even if after you have brought your sins to God to be forgiven. Have you ever had somebody come to you and ask you for forgiveness and you say, sure, it's fine, don't worry about it, apology accepted. And then they come back again and ask the same thing, and again and ask the same thing, and again and again. What are they saying? They're saying, I don't believe you. I don't believe you've forgiven me, even though you said you did. Let's not do that to God this morning, amen? amen? Let's not do that to him. Let's take him at his word. God is not asking us to do Baptist penance. I remember as a Roman Catholic going to confession, 
and kneeling down in that little dark booth and speaking to the, the priest through the screen. And I couldn't see him. I assumed he couldn't see me. And, and telling him my sins. And then he would give me the penance, the prayers to pray, to atone for those things. Folks, there is no Bible penance for these things. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, if we operate on that basis, we're called brother duty faith. We'll not be serving by gratitude. We'll be serving from drudgery and a sense of guilt. Don't go to God and confess your sins and then atone for them by doing something right. Do the something right because you are free. Not because you want to be made free. He's already made you free. When God makes you free, you can't get any freer, folks. And attempts to do so, I believe, are an insult to his promises. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the attitude of gratitude is the greatest joy that we can have. In the dark ages, a blacksmith was imprisoned for crimes. He was chained to prevent his escape. Owing to his having made chains, he began to examine with anxious interest those that bound him. His experience taught him that there was usually some sort of flaw in the chain that he could exploit and get himself free. But suddenly he found on the chains some marks which proved that they were chains of his own making. And he had always cherished the reputation of making flawless, unbreakable chains. The unhappy prisoner immediately gave up all hope of ever being able to get free. Don't be wrapped in your own chains. Don't be bound by your own chains. Others can encourage, and God's words promises, give us assurances, but we hold the key to either believing God's promises or not believing his promises. So I ask you this morning one last time, have you forgiven yourself? Now I want to look at one last caveat that I think is underappreciated and needs to be considered in this discussion. And for that, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6. Because you don't want to put conditions where God hasn't put conditions, but you don't want to neglect conditions where God has left some there. And in Matthew chapter 6, there is a caveat to all of this that we have to take seriously because God is very serious about it himself. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And maybe you're here this morning and say, Preacher, I've confessed my sins to the Lord. I've taken his promises. I'm not relying upon my feelings but I don't have a sense of being forgiven. 
then I would ask you this morning to examine yourself. Are you holding a grudge against someone else? And I say that because I've been a Christian for 50 years now. And I find that unforgiveness is one of those pet sins that we think we can cherish and keep as a pet, and it's okay. Because we don't smoke, and we don't chew, and we don't hang with them that do. (laughs) And we look all good and cleaned up on the outside, so we have the right to bear a grudge against someone else. And God, folks, if you read your Bible with your eyes open, will have none of it. Look at this. I mean, folks, this is, this is emphatic and dogmatic. This is our Savior speaking. If ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, you'll get the cold shoulder from the Lord. In that regard, you'll get the cold shoulder from the Lord. So we need to make sure that we have fulfilled that qualification or, if you will, requirement. Let's stay here in the book of Matthew and turn to chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Folks, that's a heap and a gob. That's more than a laboring man could pay back in a lifetime. How this guy got so far into debt, we'll never know, but he was way in debt. And it says, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now that probably wouldn't have taken care of the whole thing, but he wanted some of the debt paid back. And so him and his family were going to be sold as servants, as slaves to pay the debt back. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him. And notice, the fellow said, just be patient with me. Give me some time. And instead of just giving him time, he forgave him the debt. Wow. Wow. Wouldn't that be a happy day? Wouldn't that be a happy day? especially considering his condition. But notice what happens in verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Now, I think the timing of this is interesting because it looks to me like he gets forgiven this debt and he gets the thought, while we're on the subject, brother so-and-so owes me, watch verse 28, and 100 pence. Folks, that's chump change compared to what he was just forgiven of. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Same thing he said, Had patience with me, 
and I will pay thee all. Notice verse 30, and he would not. He would not. Folks, don't tell me I can't forgive them. No, be honest about it and say I won't forgive them. It's an issue of the will, folks. You can forgive. You can forgive. And he would not. It was an issue of the will. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done. Now notice, I have testimony written right above verse 31. His fellow servants saw what was done. Many a good Christian testimony has been defiled and openly soiled uh, in the eyes of not only God's people but the whole world by this business of unforgiveness. They were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? I mean, folks, this is a no-brainer. He doesn't bother to explain it. He just says, shouldn't you have done this? This is plain to be understood. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now, folks, when we refuse to forgive, we, del- we, we are delivered to the tormentors. And unforgiveness and bitterness is not unlike somebody drinking poison and expecting the other guy to fall over dead. It's such a self-inflicted thing. And you say, well, you have no idea what that person did to me and how terrible it was. Well, let me ask you this question. Haven't they owned enough of your life? Do you want to give them the rest of your life by staying bitter? Chances are they've moved on. Or perhaps they didn't know they did what they did to you, just like you've done to other people. Hello? And... uh, He's he's delivered to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, verse 35, notice how emphatic Christ is here. Shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And notice that Jesus says, if ye from your hearts I believe that harkens back to verse 30 where he said, and he would not, the will, the will. You say, I can't. No, say, I, up till now, I, I haven't wanted to. But how about a change of heart? How about the attitude of gratitude, looking at what God forgave you of? All of those 10,000 talents. And then we drag our brethren off over a hundred pence and have them taken to prison. But in reality, we're taking ourselves to prison. And so this is a qualifier of this business of, if you will, feeling forgiven. 
This is all part of it. Look at the same chapter 18 and look at verse 21. Chapter 18, verse 21. Sometimes we think because that person has done the same thing to us before, we have a right to draw a line somewhere. Well, this is the third time this has happened. This is the fourth time. You have no idea what I've been putting up with. Well, think of what God's been putting up with in you. What's your pet sin? How long have you been saved and how many times have you committed that and gone to the Lord for forgiveness and gotten it and turned around and done it again? Am I the only one that's ever done that? I doubt it. And look what Jesus says here in chapter 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And knowing Peter, he had one of the other disciples lined up at seven. And he was going to let him have it. I mean, Peter didn't ask a question just to ask a question. He, had, he was up to something here. And uh, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. 490 times for the same offense. And that's your brother. Because now we slide over into the realm of marriage. Where 70 times 7 isn't that big of a number, is it now? <laughs> now, for some of you that have never been married, or you've only been married a few months or a year or two, that may not seem like a reasonable statement. But after you've been married 30, 40, 50 years, 70 times 7 isn't big math. And so what I see here. What I see here is Peter's talking about his brother, okay? So for husband or for wife, we're at a whole new level, folks, because of the proximity to one another. Amen? Amen. I can just hear the enthusiasm. It's overwhelming. <laughs> All right, let's conclude here this morning by looking at Psalm 130. A great psalm of David seeking and acquiring God's forgiveness. I, the longer I go, the more I believe that gratitude is a tonic for so much that ails us in the Christian life. If we would just stay grateful for what the Lord has done for us. How many, how many things that would take care of. Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And isn't that the truth of it? If God's marking iniquities on us this morning, we don't have a chance, folks. And so we ask that question. He says, verse 4, here's the blessing. Here's the encouragement. Here's the release. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be what? 
man, I'm, I'm Mr. Bad Dude. I don't forgive anybody. No, you want to be feared? You want to be respected? You want to be honored? Be the bigger man. Forgive. Forgive. God does. Look at what he says. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. It doesn't take somebody tough or exceptional to be unforgiving. That comes natural, doesn't it? And uh, look what he says in verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is what? Mercy. The psalm that repeatedly says, his mercy endureth forever, his mercy endureth forever. Every verse punctuated with his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136, just a page or two over. And so he says, for with thee... With the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So after all is said and done, let's make sure we understand God's one qualifier. Be willing to extend to others that which we're asking God to extend to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and these simple, basic, right there on the front burner, yet profound truths about our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. Lord, you're a perfect, holy God, but we are sinful men and women. And Lord, we thank you that you have provided a way, a way to bridge that gap a way for there to be forgiveness and reconciliation. And help us, Lord, to have our feet washed daily. And in so doing, Father, help us to have a heart of forgiveness tender toward others, Lord, lest we be turned over to the tormentors. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 381. Number 381, Blessed Assurance.
Brother Doty, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a message on not only forgiving ourselves, but forgiving others. But Father, the most unique thing is uh, you have forgiven us. And the neat thing is, Lord, you still forgive us each and every day. So Father, as we look for that grace and that mercy and that love that you show us, please let us show that same forgiveness and mercy to each and every one around us. So be with us today, Lord, and thank you for the love and the mercy and the forgiveness you've given us. Thank you for our church. And Father, I pray, uh, thank you for those out there who've been so kind to us and been so kind to one another and look past some of the things we've done to them. And Lord said, oh, well, I've done worse. So Father, this love and forgiveness only comes from you and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.